we are starting a new teaching series uh, this week called Stories of Grace. And what we're going to do is, uh, over the next four weeks, we're taking stories from the Bible. Some of them you guys are familiar with. Some of them, uh, if you grew up in church, you're familiar with. Uh, some of them, uh, even if you did or didn't grow up in the church, you may be a little bit less familiar. So we're going to take the next four weeks to kind of track through some of these stories and point out instances of, of grace in people's life. Uh, to show that really, honestly, the people in the Bible aren't as different as we sometimes think they are. Uh, they made just some of the same mistakes that we've made, and yet God uses them over and over uh, again. Uh, today we're going to look at Abraham, probably one of the most influential characters in the Bible on my life, uh, life personally. Um, and if I have another time, uh, I'll share that uh, another day. But I do want to say this. I've shared this story before, at least in the last six months about the birth of my son, Abraham. And so I do want to share that again because uh, I'd like to start off really positive with the, with the message here this morning. Uh, a lot of you guys already know the story because I've shared this probably three or four months ago. But Linda was diagnosed with a, a disease uh, in her uterus called endometriosis. Uh, it was stage four. This was back in December of last year. And uh, so we, already, we had three boys at that point. Uh, and the uh, doctor, she had pulled me aside and says, I'll let, I'll let you break the news to your wife, but uh, it's endometriosis, there's no cure, it's stage four, it's the worst. Um, there are, you know, very few chances that it will lead to cancer, but it definitely means that she will be infertile. And so, uh, and I read a stat, 70% of infertile women have a form of endometriosis. And so, so I was bummed, like, I mean, and we were actually trying uh, at that point, as a matter of fact, uh, we were like, you know, we have three boys, maybe we should try a girl, right? And so we were, uh, uh, we were kind of shooting for the stars there. And uh, so long story short, I sat her down and said, hey, you know, doctor says we can't have children anymore. And she showed me this slide for her uterus, and it was literally everything in there, guys. I mean, for the men in the room, you don't understand this, but for me, it was like, everything's supposed to be loose at first, right? Um, and then, but everything was clumped up together. And I literally, I understood when the Bible says that the womb was closed at that point. Because I looked at Linda's uterus and everything was completely meshed together. And so her fallopian tubes have completely collapsed. Her ovaries were completely sucked into her uterus. Um, and so um, I was explaining that to her and Linda was like, ah, no big deal. We got three boys. So, um, so um, a couple of weeks after the diagnosis, I was uh, preaching at a... Uh, young adults retreat. It was about 200 young adults, and in the middle of the service, and man, you guys did a fantastic job this morning leading us. Um, the the pad just makes it sound so epic. Um, and so it was right in the middle of the kind of worship time, kind of like we had uh, just a minute ago. And I felt the Lord begin to speak to me through Abraham's life, and uh, He just distinctly saying to me that you've you've written off miracles in your life. And uh, and so I just remember saying, oh, man, you're right. We looked at this obstacle that, um, that we have in our life, and I, I, not for a second did I think that maybe God wanted to give us a miracle, right? And so I remember in, in the moment just saying, and, uh, just saying to God, God, I'm sorry, what do I do? And I felt this strong prompting that God said, ask me for a miracle. Ask me. We had never, correct me if I'm wrong, Linda, we had never asked for a miracle for ourselves up to this point. We had been married for 14 years at that point. Um, and uh, just had never thought that we would ask God for a miracle. So in that moment, I said, okay, God, I wrote it in my journal. and said, God, would you give us this child? We know it's impossible. Would you give us this child? Um, and so um, fast forward uh, three months later, things happen. You know, I'm not saying that this was like the immaculate conception, okay? Uh, there is some involvement. Uh, and so... <laughs> 
and uh, we found out that um, uh, that we were uh, that Linda was pregnant. And I, could, I can't tell you. I mean, we were in the doctor's office. The doctor was weeping. Her staff was weeping. We were weeping. And um, and for the first time in my life, I felt like God had done something completely miraculous, way beyond what I could explain. And so naturally. Uh, because the Lord was speaking to me uh, from Abraham's life as we began thinking about children. We were going to name him Sarah because we were absolutely con convinced that it was going to be a girl. <laughs> and I was so convinced, like, I don't care if it's a boy or a girl. We're going to name him Sarah because <laughs> uh, we want a girl. And, um, uh, and uh, we found out that, uh, that Sarah was actually an Abraham. So we're completely cool, we're completely cool with that. Uh, anyways, uh, I want to I start off with that story because you might be like me where um, maybe a lot of your Christianity is like up here. Uh, or a lot of your faith is maybe even it's dropped from here to here. Um, but it's not gone into the realm of miracles yet. Um, and so I, I want us to be moved. Uh, you know, if, if, you, if you're of the skeptical kind, I want to say that you're in the company of a lot of people who are that way. But I want to start us off by asking this because I, I really didn't think that I would be able to experience miracles at that level. And the cool thing is that Mike and Missy were tracking with us during those few months. And so they were there every step of the way. We got to share this whole journey with them. And um, uh, one thing that I was, I'm challenged by, as by Abraham's life, and uh, I want to challenge us this morning as we walk through his life, is this. Uh, what are some of the big things? What are some of the impossible things that you're praying for that you know that you need God's grace for? Um, you know, I mean, beyond grades, beyond a pay, uh, pay increase, and maybe those things are big in your life. But one of the God-sized miracle things, that if God doesn't move, it won't happen, type things. Uh, because this is the life of Abraham. And uh, I wish I had more time to go into the details of his life. But this is a guy who, uh, at a very old age, uh, God called him out of his comfort zone. He was uh, from pagan roots. And so he uh, came from a country and a land that worshipped all different kinds of gods and tribal deities. Uh, his name was Abram, which means uh, the exalt, exalted father. Later on in the Bible, you find out that God changes his name to Abraham, which means the father of multitudes. And so what happens is that throughout Abraham's life, you realize that he's actually a man that's very, maybe not timid, but he's, he's dealing with a lot of insecurity, a lot of fear. As a matter of fact, there's, a, there's two instances where he lies about his wife being his sister to, to, so that he wouldn't get in trouble. And so this is kind of Abraham's life. And yet he, he was also a man of many resources. Um, and uh, probably the biggest challenge that he had faced was the challenge that we'd faced. Him and his wife had been infertile for the length of their marriage. And at the age of um, 100, and he was 100 at the age of 90, you know, I know that seems completely off the charts for us, right? But at that age, God says to them, and you will have children, right? Um, like, we're 34. If, we, if God told us at age 34, you will have children, like, that's not too bad. Like, okay, we'll have, you know, maybe 40. That's not to, you know, say that 40-year-olds are old, but uh, 100, right? So God comes and says, at 100, you will have children. Uh, and naturally, Abraham and his wife, they, uh, uh, Sarah in particular, she laughs it off like, yeah, that's impossible. Um, but this is the life that God was calling Abraham to live, a life of faith. Can you trust me in the moments where if I don't show up, you fail? Because that's the kind of life that I'm calling you to live. That's a life lived on God's grace. Right? And so Romans chapter 4 is fast forward 2,000 years later, a guy named Paul. He's making a commentary on this verse. 
And he writes this in Romans chapter 4, verse 13 through 16. And he's trying to kind of interpret this for his time and then for our time. And Paul writes this. He says, The promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, which is doing the right thing before God, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs. Oh, sorry. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, then faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. So he's saying you need the law, but this thing isn't based on the law. It's based on faith. And that's why it's a promise. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Alright, let me explain that in a nutshell in a way that it makes sense to us. Um, in 2014. Because God loved Abraham through faith and not through the way that he performed or the things that he did, the faith of Abraham became the most inclusive, diverse, universal, uh, most impacting across all cultures. Uh, it, it made the faith of Abraham the most like pervasive all throughout the world. The faith of Abraham is perhaps, um, it is without argument, the largest influence in our world right now, all right? And so what Paul says is that if that was based on birth or it was based on what you could do and perform, then that would have never happened. But because it was based on a promise and faith, this thing has permeated everybody. People say that Christianity is exclusive. To some extent it is. But it is the most inclusive religion in the whole entire world. In case you have any kind of reservations about the exclusivity of Christianity, I will say this, what it, what it, who it points to, Jesus, that's a very specific figure. It is the most multicultural, diverse uh, religion in the whole entire world. And Paul is saying it's because it's based on faith. The way that the Muslims view Abraham is based on submission. The way that Jews view uh, Abraham is based on um, birthright, the way that Christians view Abraham is based on this concept of faith through grace. And so what we're going to look at today is kind of what is what is grace? And I'm going to give you kind of a loose definition of grace because there's so many different facets. But I thought the best way to talk about grace this morning was to take two main passages to kind of shape the way that we're talking about grace this morning. And the first comes out of Ephesians 2.8. Uh, Paul writes this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. All right? In the 2 Corinthians 2.9, Paul says this, another definition of grace. Um, this is God speaking to Paul. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And so this other definition of grace that Paul's talking about is grace is actually a power. All right? So if you grew up in the church, sometimes you heard the grace, uh, the definition of grace is this, that you receive something that you didn't deserve, right? Does that sound familiar? Right. Um, so if you grew up in the church, that was kind of the definition. And the mercy was like you uh, not receiving something that you did reserve, uh, deserve. Paul's saying this, no, there is a way in which grace works that it's a power, that apart from it, you couldn't do it. But because of it, now you can, all right? And so that's kind of the aspect of grace that we're looking at today. So in essence... Uh, grace is an injection of God's power into us and into our situation. All right? It's not you doing it on your own, you figuring it out. 
but it's God doing it. Without God doing it, it would have never happened. So um, here's the kind of main point for today, kind of the broad overview. You kind of hang your hat on this. Um, maybe write this down. Uh, living in God's grace and not your own effort is a scary way to live. But it's the only way to see God's beautiful plan unfold. So in the midst of fear, take your next step so as to not waste fear. All right, let me say that again. Living in God's grace and not your own effort is a scary way to live, but it's the only way to see God's beautiful plan unfold. So in the midst of the fear, take your next step so as not to waste your fear. All right, two points today, so you can watch the Raptors game that. Uh, first point is this. There is the terror of God's grace. And the second point is this. There is the beauty of God's grace. And so the terror of God's grace is this. As you walk through the life of Abraham, you discover that he's, he's just not a guy in the Bible. That he actually makes a difference. There are 3.8 billion people that tie their worldview back to Abraham. All right? Just think about that. This is not a, just a character, not a cartoon character. He has a tangible effect on the way that we think about the world today. 3.8 billion people trace the way that they think and look at that world to Abraham. Jews, Muslims, Christians, and then you also have Baha'is and all the, all the other um, uh, offshoots. And so where did grace start in Abraham's life? And I'm going to argue that it started in the same place where it's going to start in your life. God's grace started in Abraham's life when he had a vague notion of God. Just this being that exists. Okay, I think he's up there. I know he's up there. I pray sometimes to him, but I don't quite know how he fits into everything else in my life. So God's grace started with Abraham at that point. Uh, second, secondly, it started with Abraham actually leaving what was comfortable. He left his father's home, everything uh, that was comfortable to him, and, and going the next step into the unknown. And I'm going to argue to a lot of you guys after talking with you that, that that's where you're at. You've left what's comfortable. You're going to the next step that's unknown. Uh, thirdly, is that he began to learn more along the way about this God. Right? Matter of fact, later on, God reveals his name to God, uh, to Abraham as Yahweh. And so he's taking the next step, and as he's taking the next step, he's actually learning more specifics about God. And I want to say this to you, just as an application point. Sometimes people think Bible knowledge and kind of download all that stuff is, is where it begins. And I'm going to say, do that. But it's when you take the next step with courage to do the hard things is when you begin to learn more about God and who He is, right? And then a fourth one is that a relationship formed and He became the ultimate disciple. Abraham became the ultimate disciple because he began practicing God. Uh, he began practicing hearing God's voice, trusting it enough to obey Him. Sound familiar? Right. Hopefully you've been tracking with Trinity Life. That, that starts to sound familiar. Abraham was the ultimate disciple. God says, go. And he says, where? God says, won't tell you yet, just go. Okay. Uh, God says, I'm going to give you land. And Abraham says, how? And, 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 and God says, can't tell you yet, but go. Uh, God says, I'm going to give you a child. And Abraham's like, Ugh. why? First of all, I'm 100. And then how? And God says, trust me. And so he's hearing God, trusting him, he's obeying, taking the next step. That forms a relationship. So um, here's the thing. Uh, when, I was, when Lynn and I were praying for this child, and, and uh, uh, we have other stories, you know, um, about praying for children, and how scary it can feel to pray for a miracle, 
right? Why? Why? Disappointment, right? You're, you're afraid that it's not going to happen if you ask God for, for the miracle. And we should notice this, that the very first thing that God begins to deal with Abraham, I think it's in verse 1, um, the first thing that God says to Abraham is this, do not be afraid. Right? And here's the thing, is God's grace sometimes puts us in a situation where you're filled with fear. All right? By design. It's like, God, you're telling me not to be afraid, and yet you're putting me in this situation. And that's a very important thing to understand, because... Um, it's in those situations when the real you begins to come out, right? Um, does that make sense? When you're in a pressure situation, when you're afraid, that's when the real you begins to come out. That's when, that's when you can begin to deal with the real person, right? When everything is kind of chill and everything's great and we're having fun, everything is perceived as being great. But when you're in a fearful situation, <clears throat> you're forced to deal with the real you. Let me give you an example. Um, in marriage, um, uh, during the dating period, uh, your partner uh, sometimes gets to see the real you. Um, but by and large, I mean, there's kind of the, the, the private you and the public you, right? And so uh, in marriage, um, uh, it's like when Linda saw the real me, she's, I don't know what you were thinking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, I do know what she was thinking. We, we did counseling for two years. Um, and um, true story, we'll talk about that another day. Um, and um, the real you begins to come out. And um, honestly, that's when you begin to really commit to marriage. I have a friend who said this to me. He says, you don't commit to marriage at the wedding altar. You commit to a marriage three years into it. Because uh, it requires the real you to come out. Like, how can you change somebody without knowing the real them? Right? How can you begin to, to have a real relationship with somebody unless the real them comes out? And so God puts Abraham in this fearful situation where his fears come out. He was in a land that was very comfortable and all this stuff started arising and God had a chance to address it as soon as he saw it arise. And let me say this, if you find yourself in a fearful situation today, take heart. Because I think God wants to reveal more of himself to you. Now here's the thing, okay. Um, for those of us who are in relationship, um, and uh, we're, we're having married people problems, but we're not married yet. Uh, it's hard to give you married solutions because you're not married yet. Um, and so in some ways, it's hard to address unmarried people problems who are having married problems because you're not married yet. And so it makes it very difficult, especially as a pastor, to kind of counsel. Like, let's say you've been in a relationship for eight years. You don't know when you're going to get married, but you're having married people problems, right? Like, I don't know how to counsel that so much. And in some ways, there's a, a commitment that's required in order for God to begin to work on the real you. Okay? And so what we're seeing unfold in Abraham's life is this. Because God wants to do something unique and special with Abraham, he has put him in the situation where the fear arises, and God says, ah, do you want a relationship with me? Because if you do, then we'll work on the real you. Okay? And so that's what's starting to unfold at this point. Um, let me read this statement here. By the grace of God, when he's dealing with transforming you into becoming the kind of person to fulfill his purposes in the world, he requires a real you to come out and then a lifelong commitment to him in order to bring about the true change. All right? Um, if, if you're trying to change a woman that's not your wife, it may not be worth it. 
If you're trying to change somebody who's not lifelong committed to you, well endeavor, it may not be worth it. And God is taking the next step with Abraham, and he's calling Abraham to a covenant. So what is a covenant? Um, a covenant is a relationship uh, that's developed between two parties in the context of kind of terms. There are terms, and we're going to get back to that a little bit. Um, let me summarize real quick kind of the whole uh, conversation that's going on here. Um, this may be a little bit blasphemous, uh, not blasphemous, maybe uh, maybe irreverent, but I kind of did like a, a summary here. Um, and uh, yeah, I shouldn't blaspheme from my <laughs> uh, So God says, Abraham, do you know who I am? Abraham says, I think. I think you're the one of the many tribal gods that the Babylonians worship, right? God says, nope, I'm the only true God. I'm about to make you into a great nation with billions of descendants. Abraham laughs. Okay? Tell that to my wife. I'm owed. My wife can't have children. God says, I've got plans for you. But first, let's talk about your bitterness. I know your life situation. I designed it. But you're not going to understand it all until later. So naturally, I understand that you're a skeptic now. So then let's talk about the condition of your heart first. I want to give you everything like a good father wants to give his only son everything because that's who you're becoming today. We're strangers before, but now I want to call you friend. I want to call you son. Abraham pauses. Right. I want to believe you. I've always wondered if this kind of thing could happen. God says they can't. And it will. But when it does happen, don't get caught up in my promise for more and for reputation. Because if you trust in me, later you'll find that your greatest reward is relationship with me and not just the gifts that I give. And here's Abraham's line. God, how committed are you to me? Oh God, and this is from the scripture, how do I know that these things are going to happen? So then God cuts a covenant with Abraham. God says, okay, I get it. You, you just need reassurance. You need reassurance that this is actually going to happen. And so what he does is he does something that in the ancient Near East culture, that it was a very familiar rite, and he, 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 he cuts a covenant. That's actually the terminology used. And so God is saying, this is how serious I am. All right? And so the covenant means uh, three things. That number one, that we are entering into a relationship with each other. So me as God, I don't take this lightly. Number two is this, I don't want to have, uh, I want you to have a visual reminder of my commitment. And that's usually what a wedding ring is, right? So for guys who have a, a hard time remembering that they're married, uh, they can look back on their left um, ring finger and, and it reminds them. God wanted to give uh, Abraham that visual reminder. And the third way is this, I want to show you in a way that you understand, okay? And so God is speaking in a way that he, that clearly communicates. Um, and I want to say this, that when you're asking God to communicate to you, God will customize. God will customize the ways in which he speaks to you that maybe he doesn't speak to other people. And that's what he's doing here with Abraham. And so what happens in verse 12 is kind of the fear part. As the sun go was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Right when God is getting ready to do this act of revealing himself, this act of showing him how much he's committed to him, the first thing that Abraham feels this uh, feels is this, anxiety. Like, God, if you're going to do something great, 
All right, and he kind of just relaxes. He's seeing everything that's unfolding. God's asking him to participate in it. He's making a covenant. Right. Okay, understand what's going on. And it begins to creep up inside of him. The anxiousness. Anxiety. Fear. God's grace is bringing fear upon Abraham's life. Right. Entering into a kind of a relationship with God can be a fearful and dreadful thing. Most people are fine to believe in a God that's remote and that runs the world. But those who truly realize that God wants more than just the stars, He wants your heart. Those people like Abraham truly feel the weight of this. God doesn't want just our schedules. He doesn't want just our careers. He wants our heart. And when you realize what that really means, right? And this is important for those of you guys who are in the premarital stage. Uh, that your, your wife, your spouse, the person who is committed to you forever, they want more than just your time, your money, your resource. They want your undivided attention. And Abraham knows the commitment that he's getting ready to enter into this. If today we're feeling fear and dread for whatever reason, our sins, the sins of other people, it's possible that by God's grace, he's actually getting ready to enter into a relationship with you that will change you forever. If you feel the dread, if you feel the fear, right? I would, almost, I would almost argue that if you don't feel it at times, you should question where, where is your investment in faith at these days. But if you're feeling that, and it could be because there's sin in your life, or it could be because somebody is sinning against you, but you know that that's rising up inside of you, it could be because of this. God's getting ready to show himself to you, just as he did to Abraham. And there's two ways to respond. There's an obedient-oriented response, and that's this. Faith, trust, and action. All right? There's a disobedient response, and that's this. Anxiety, control, and selfish action. So when the fear rises up and it's telling you to trust in God, you can respond in two different ways. Trust. Move towards obedience. Anxious, so control and then make selfish decisions. Right? Uh, verse 6 reminds us of the way that Abraham is responding. Uh, responding. Um, the Bible says this, that he believed the Lord, and God counted it to him as righteousness. So because of his belief, God says to him, I count that to you as your righteousness. You have right standing before me, not because you're doing all the right things, but because you believe me, I can enter into a relationship with you. That was Abraham's faith. He took the next step based on faith, not because he knew what to do uh, next. And so let me summarize um, shortly again. Uh, when we are in fearful situations, um, when you're in a situation where you're just, you're just unsure about the next step, you feel like there's something there, but you don't know what to do. Um, it seems a bit like insecure or unsecure. Let me say this. That's a great place to be. It is a grace-designed place to be. And I want to encourage you to take the next step. But that is the terror of God's grace, that it causes you to live in that moment of tension. And so you get to choose the obedient-oriented response or the disobedient-oriented response. Um, this leads us to the second thing. Um, when you respond to God with faith and, trust, uh, faith and trust, you'll see that the other side of grace is this. It's absolutely beautiful and stunning. If you, if, you can, if you can move forward in obedience, you'll find that the other side of grace is absolutely beautiful and stunning. 
I think about Abraham. He's kind of like the community child at Trinity Life. Everybody holds him. Uh, I'm, I'm scared to hold him at the end of the day because of the number of people that have put their dirty hands on him. Uh, and I think about the, you know, uh, 11 months ago, about how much anxiety it felt to ask people like you guys to lay hands on Linda and say, can you pray for her? God's promised us a child. She can't conceive. I want you to understand that. But lay hands on her so that she can have a child. Do you think that was an easy ask every time people came into my home? Terrified to ask people that, right? As we lived in the tension, and that morning at Toronto East General, and he came out of the canal on the other side of grace, it was absolutely beautiful and stunning. That's right? so our second point, is the beauty of God's grace. Abraham's story is our story. Abraham's story is your story. Paul says this later on in Romans 4. Uh, that is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours as well. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who were raised from the dead with Jesus uh, our Lord. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So let me explain the covenant that God was making with Abraham with you guys to understand how beautiful, why it was so beautiful. Alright, um, let me get Adam and let me get Nat. Okay, come up here real quick. Alright. So what happens is that, come stand right, right beside me. Okay. This is, it won't be as bad as next week, last week. Uh, and so what happened was like, I pretend they were one animal. I, I don't know, it's, it's really bad already. <laughs> and so what happens is that, is that uh, God says to Abraham, and this is a part of the ancient Near East culture, uh, part of the Babylonian culture back in like 1800s of BC. And so this is a way in which they, they created covenants. Marriages were formed this way. Allegiances between countries were formed this way. So they would, I would come up with uh, a person and we would, uh, I needed an Abraham. Um, Isaac, uh, you, yeah, you make a great Abraham. Okay, so, uh, so what would happen is that we, we would, uh, the stage is way too small. So we're entering into a relationship with each other. And uh, so, it says we would actually take animals and we would cut them in half, right? And put them one on each side. All right, so you're half of a cow, you're half of a cow. And um, the Bible uses another word, but they won't use that word. Uh, and so, and then there's a blood path that goes between the pieces of these, the cow that's spewing blood. Uh, and so what would happen is that the two parties would walk through the path of the blood together, okay? And we would be like, man, I love you. This is a great relationship. <laughs> we were getting married. Uh, we should try to, we could do this. Um, in the engineers culture, um, what would happen is that there, we were saying to each other that, but if you didn't keep your end of the deal, then I would, I would cut you into two pieces, just like the animals. <laughs> and so, uh, same thing. If I didn't keep my end of the deal, then you could do to me the same way that we did to these animals. And we walk that blood path together, all right? And so that's how a covenant was made between two parties, okay? Uh, thank you, thank you for the video, okay? And so, um, um, this is what God was saying to, to Abraham, like, I, 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 I'll, I'll do that with you. Right? Let's do this together, all right? Um, the parties would walk through together, and they would say, I promise to keep this covenant with you, but if I break my end of the covenant, may I pay this debt with my own blood. Um, I know that doesn't seem very beautiful, but it, it's going to get beautiful in a little bit here. Uh, verse 17 says this, And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, and behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. 
And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. And this picture of fire and smoke, uh, the Old Testament uses it all the time for a symbol or a manifestation of God. And you see in Exodus 13, it's the pillar of fire that leads Israel by night. You see Moses in the fire and the smoke of Mount Sinai. You see Elijah in the fire of the Lord coming down to consume the offering. And so Abraham sees all that's going on. He sees the, he sees the thing happening. And here's the peculiar thing about this one particular covenant that he's seen. He's seen it before, many, many times before. He himself went through with, with Sarah. And the peculiar thing about this particular covenant was this. That this time, only one party was going through the pieces. And not two parties. God was going through the blood trail by himself. What does that mean? It could only mean one thing. God is saying, I promise to keep this covenant with you. And if I break my end of the covenant, may I, may I pay the debt with my own blood. But if you break your end of the covenant, may I pay the debt with my own blood. Jesus guarantees both sides of the party. And so Abraham doesn't see it. But 2,000 years later, Jesus comes down and he makes good on God's promise that it doesn't matter, Abraham, if you're not on the straight and narrow all the time. It doesn't matter to all the descendants. It doesn't matter for you guys who are here in Toronto, 2014, if you can't keep the end of the bargain. The beauty of grace is this. You couldn't keep it. God kept it in Jesus. That when Jesus spilled his blood on the cross, it was the, it was the same exact thing. That he tread through the blood trail on behalf of us. And so God was saying to Abraham, Abraham, this is how much you can trust me. If I lose the end of the deal, I'll lay my life down. If you lose your end of the deal, I'll still lay my life down. That's how committed I am to this promise. That's how God is committed to us. When, that night when, when God took Abraham to see the stars in the skies, right? Because Abraham needed a visual. He's like me. I'm a skeptic by nature, okay? I needed a visual. God, what's your plan? Like, I just need to see your plan. And so he takes Abraham and says, see these stars. See all these stars. They represent your descendants. Now let me tell you this, church. As we look at our city, let me tell you guys this. That each one of those stars, you and I represent one of those stars. As Abraham was looking across the sky, he didn't just see stars. He saw us. Like in God's mind, he already knew. He already knew that one of us was a star. He knew that there were going to be billions of us. And so he was telling Abraham, look, as many as those stars. And 2000, I'm so like overwhelmed just thinking that 2,000 years later, like we get to be part of that. That's our story, Paul says. This wasn't just written for Abraham. This was written for all of us. We are embedded into the story of Abraham because of Jesus and what Jesus has done. Grace is the power that says, when you can't do it in your own strength, I will do it for you. That's the resource that is available to us. You see, the fear that grace triggers is now overcome by the hope it provides. What first triggered fear in us, that very same mechanism, is now triggering hope in us. I want to conclude with this. Um, the band back up. Um, 
as we kind of ponder that, as we kind of think through, what does it mean um, that Jesus was the fulfillment of the story that was given to Abraham? That the covenant that was right before his eyes actually pointed to Jesus. What does that mean for us? Um, and I want to make it just as clear as possible. That for those of us who are uh, who did not come from a Christian background, that it means this. That if you believe in God and you believe in His promises through Jesus Christ, and you let Him credit you because of your faith, because of your belief, not because you've done the five things that were correct, not not because your life is straight and narrow. Not not even because currently today you are living a lifestyle that's pleasing to God. Not because of any of those things. But if because you know that you are ready to place faith and trust in God through Jesus Christ. The call to action today is this. That you would have enough courage to allow God to also now deal with the real you. Sins and all. So he, he doesn't just want to deal with um, giving you faith. He wants it to remove the stuff that at one point hindered you. But the first step is faith. The gospel begins with the work that God's doing in you before he expects anything out of you. Secondly, for those of us who are committed to this, it's the same challenge. God is dealing with the real you. Right? The public you can only last for so long. He wants to deal with the real you. But the motivation is the same thing. Because he's entering into he's entered into a relationship with you. And here's this here's a call to action. I don't know how to put this out every single week, but here's a call to action. You are a part of Abraham's family. You are a bearer of this story. Not for a second should you palm that off to any religious worker, to a minister, to a pastor, to a missionary, because this is the family that you're birthed into. It is your responsibility to deliver that same message to the city that we live in. You are a star. Shine bright. You are a star. Shine bright in our city. You are a star. God showed you to Abraham. Said he was inviting you into his family. Shine bright in our city.